Welcome to Curva Mundial. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Curva Mundial. I am your host, Sal Bono. And today, my next guest, the host and creator of one of the finest podcasts about one of the most historic teams around. Please welcome to the show, Boca and English host and Boca Juniors supporter, Gabriel Aguero. Welcome, Gabriel. Thank you for having me on, Sal. This is an absolute pleasure. It's going to be a lot of fun to discuss some, some Boca, my favorite team. So thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. I'm super excited, man. We finally get to officially travel, if you will, to South America. We've traveled to South America by proxy from someone who was a Brazil fan in England in previous seasons, but now as someone who has been born and bred to be a Boca fan and is on time, <laughs> this is like finally like I'm getting the icing on the cake here. So thanks for joining me. Um, this team is known for having one of the greatest, if not the greatest fan base in all of club soccer around the globe. So, as I touched on just now, you're a Boca fan by birth, but did you ever really have a choice? So, uh, to start off, I was, I was born in the United States and I moved to Argentina, I don't know, being a few months old. And I live in Argentina for a couple of years. My parents are from Argentina. My grandparents are all from Argentina. So, you can imagine our household is filled with, with football fandom, with soccer fandom, whatever term you like to use. Um, majority of my family, my extended family are all Boca Juniors fans. Did I have a choice? Eh, not really. Maybe, maybe sort of, uh, but I'm glad that I turned out to be a Boca fan. It's in my opinion, obviously biased, uh, the greatest team in the world, greatest fan base in the world. You can go to La Bombonera for yourself and, and, and just see the way uh, the orchestra works and the stadium shakes. And it's just, it's, it's magnificent. Um, but I sort of did have a choice. My little brother is a San Lorenzo fan. My mom is a San Lorenzo fan. My grandmother is a San Lorenzo fan. I have extended family of that are fans of other clubs, but I would say an overwhelming majority of my family, my extended family are all uh, Boca Juniors fans. Wow. All right. So, so you have the Pope, and you have, uh, who's a fan of San Lorenzo? And you have, yeah. you know, obviously Maradona's team. So you have the devil and God. As yeah. Both, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Inside your household, which is amazing. That's an excellent way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're going to obviously talk about, uh, you know, Diego a lot. But um, one thing, though, you know, he's, he's a name. You know, Maradona, of course, is one of the many historic players that have played for this team. You have Palermo, Tevez, Walter Samuel, Gato, ba Batistuta, even Daniele De Rossi, who is Roma through, <laughs> was just like, I gotta play for the blue and gold. You know, being a fan of a club that has boasted so many icons, does it add to the allure of the team today, despite having a solid glove, there is no like major, major, like world renowned star. There are great players on Boca currently, but there is no like Tevez was there recently or De Rossi a few years ago. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. At this very moment, I don't think there's a star that has come out of the club that is world renowned and in Europe. Maybe the exception might be Paredes, who, who plays his trade over at PSG, but he didn't leave Boca as, as a star, as a, a very uh, important key player. He left as a, as a pretty good player, left his mark with the team, but that was it. And then he came to be this, this superstar with, with PSG, but it certainly does add to the allure. I mean, you have players like, I, I know you're an AC Milan fan, but Materazzi, who I'm pretty sure played for, for Inter, he has Boca Juniors tattoos. He went to Abon Bonera with his son a couple of months ago. I think it was late last year to go watch a Boca game 
when you have all these different European superstars, and I mean, you, you mentioned Daniel De Rossi, who said, you know, I would love to stay at Roma. They're not allowing me to stay. So I'm going to complete my, my dream move and, and go play at least a year, six months in Boca. And that's, that's what he did. Unfortunately, it ended too soon. Um, but you have like this aura of this little, uh, it's almost as if it's like a little tick that bites these European players and says, and towards the end of the career, or maybe not towards the end of the career, but they mostly want to say, I want to go experience that. I want to go see what it's all about. So definitely it adds to that aura. Absolutely. You know, as someone that grew up in Argentina, as someone who has talked about the allure of this club, like, what is it like being in the city? You know, what is it like being around that area where the stadium is, where La Bombonera is? What is it like, even, even outside of Buenos Aires, when you're in just like any random part of the country, I'm assuming the Boca is like sort of like the New York Yankees where you're going to see a Yankee cap in Wisconsin. Oh yeah. yeah. So it's like the Wisconsin of Argentina, which is like a really bizarre term to say, <laughs> you know, I'm sure has Boca fans. So like, what's that yeah. like going across that country and from being from the epicenter and then spreading out and seeing the fandom go. Yeah, absolutely. There's Boca supporters everywhere. I think a really good example is earlier in the week we played uh, the Copa Argentina, Copa Argentina match, which is similar to the Copa Italia, where you play lower league teams or like Copa del Rey in, in Spain. And we played in the province of La, La Rioja, which I can't remember the last time Boca played there. It's on the western coast of Argentina, uh, northwestern end. Very, very small city and the videos, I, I'm not sure if you saw the videos that I that I posted the day before the game, but it was insane. The amount of fans with flares just welcoming the team. There was thousands and thousands of fans on the highway that wouldn't even allow the bus to get to the team hotel. It was ridiculous. So there's there's fans everywhere. Absolutely. Um, tomorrow we play in Santiago del Estero, which is another small province in the northern end of, of Argentina. Um, another small city and Boca is going to play there. And I just posted a picture of the team hotel on the outside. There's, there's flags everywhere all set up by, I don't know if it was the hotel staff or the fans themselves, but the, the cities, these small cities go absolutely insane. When, when Boca comes into town, it's, it's crazy, but there's fans all over Argentina and on match day in Buenos Aires, it's, it's a very nice atmosphere. Um, but it's, it's very divided because 90% of teams in first division, in Argentina are all from within Buenos Aires. So obviously you see, you see your Boca shirts all over Buenos Aires, but as the closer you get to the stadium is where you start to feel the noise is where you start to see a lot more jerseys. When I was there in December, uh, Racing was playing a couple hours before and it, the city was just incredible. I mean, there was Racing fans on the way to the stadium. Me and my brother had to hide our jerseys. We had to sort of like step away from them. Um, wow. Yeah, it was it was it was that bad. But as we get closer to the stadium, it starts to dissipate. You don't see anybody else. You see all just strictly woke. Like that's your crowd, right? Wow. It's funny the way it works, but it, it's a very works. close proximity. It's a very close. Pro the Racing Stadium is about I don't know five minute car drive from La Moneda. So as the closer you get to La Moneda, you start to see a crowd. You start to see the people you identify with and say, all right, you know, obviously this is where I'm supposed to be. So it, it's neat. Uh, game days. Uh, weekends in, in Buenos Aires are pretty neat. So what's it like? Walk me through. You have your ticket in hand. As you said, you and your brother, you got to hide your jerseys, right? You're getting closer to La Bomonera. Explain to me the atmosphere of from the moment you are about five minutes away 
and now you finally get to reveal your jerseys like Superman, you know, and then yeah. slowly get in, <laughs> ticket in hand, and then you finally get to you where you're supposed to be sitting, and the game starts. Like, tell me that atmosphere because videos, photos, it looks like the most insane party, but also there's like this bizarre element of just like, I don't know, it doesn't look safe. But, it, there's, but there's also this at, so there's it's part funny of you that, say that it's also part of like this thing where like it's the best party it's probably the most dangerous party but it also looks like something where photos and videos really simply don't do it justice yeah. and like like Maracana like when you see video of Maracana when especially when Brazil is playing it's like I don't know man like it looks so much more intense to be there than what the screen is allowing. You get what I'm saying? So like, tell me what that moment, those moments are like as you enter this historic cathedral of the game. So I think it's funny you mentioned um, that it, that it isn't safe. I'll actually tell you when I was there in December, this past December, and I went to go see Boca Central Cordoba, who is actually who we're playing tomorrow. Um, we played in uh, end of December in Naum Bonera. So I went with my brother. I think we went like six hours before the game even started. We got into a taxi. The taxi started driving and the Racing bus filled with Racing uh, supporters uh, was right next to us. And the taxi driver got nervous and he said, you guys have to leave because they will jump out of this bus and flip over the taxi. I am not joking. This is a true story. So I was like, okay, do you want me to at least pay you for the, the little bit of a drive you did? He's like, no, I just want you guys to go, just leave. So we got out of the taxi and we started running. We ran a couple blocks until we were away from that bus, away from that group. We found another taxi uh, who took us down to the stadium. We were headed for the Polideportivo, which is where all the international members, such as myself, sort of meet up. You have members from the U.S., from different states from different countries in South America, that's where they meet up and they get all their tickets. And it was a fun experience because they have, they have a barbecue going, everybody's chatting, everybody's talking about their personal lives. Everybody's talking about what brought them there today. It's very, very neat. You have people drinking alcohol on the streets, obviously not something that's legal here in the U S but you know, they do it. And all around La Bonera, you just see barbecues going, music blasting. It's a very neat experience. And then we all walk over into La Bonera. I would say about an hour and a half before kickoff. And you could start hearing uh, the, the chants from within, from within the stadium. It gets really, it gets really loud. I mean, you could hear it from afar, but the closer you, you walk in, you could hear it even louder and louder and you feel the stadium uh, just rocking and, and bumping. It's a very neat experience. You see the reserve is playing. So you could actually see some of those guys and we scream the goals when the reserve play. And of course, when the first team comes out, uh, it's, uh, it's ridiculous. It's so loud in there. And, I think that was an excellent game to go to the one that I went to because we, that was the first time we were in front of our home fans uh, celebrating the, the Copa Argentina, we, which we had just won a week prior. So after the game, Boca ended up winning eight, one, which was, we got to celebrate eight goals. And then they had a whole light show with fireworks and the title and all that. It was, it was magnificent. It's very, it's a unique experience. I got to go to probably the best game of the season. I mean, that sounds incredible. And, there was a period where this past season where Boca wasn't playing at La Bombonera, correct? Like that because like stadium renovations or um, they yes, I think it was it was earlier in the year. Um, I think we had to play two or three uh, home games at a different ground. They were renovating the pitch, the the drainage system. They were renovating that. They were upgrading that. 
and the pitch looks excellent now. Great, great. You know, it's it's a fan base that again, it's a passion that you you almost can't put into words. It leaves me speechless. I like Boca, but from afar, like I, you obviously are like a huge fan of this team. But you can't also talk about Boca without talking about their biggest rival, which is River Plate. Now, you mentioned Racing earlier. It's sort of been this weird thing where it almost sounds from a from afar, there's only one rivalry in Argentina and it's Boca River. But like yeah. I didn't realize how intense the rivalry was with Racing or like other teams in Buenos Aires. You know, but the Boca River rivalry will go down in history as one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. Explain to me the depths of that rivalry and how the fans react because the world got to see that rivalry pushed aside in November, 2020, when Diego had passed away. You saw uh, river fans crying. You saw river fans just putting their arms around each other uh, as if he was one of their own. Yeah. So there is, there is a civility to some degree there, but so like, what, what, what is this? Explain that. So, yeah, I think the only player capable of, of doing what happened in November of 2020 is obviously Maradona. I mean, he, he played for Woka. He played for five games for Newell's. He played uh, over 100 games for Argentinos Juniors. But I think Maradona is one of those players that just belong to everybody because of, you know, his heroics in 1986, being a cult hero, uh, winning the World Cup. I don't know if I want to say single-handedly. I wasn't alive. I don't think it's appropriate for me to say he won it single-handedly. But a lot of people from you know who saw that World Cup will say that he won it single-handedly. So he's a cult hero, and he belongs to every Argentine, whether you're a River fan, whatever fan. Independiente Racing. When he was a coach in Gimnasia, he got a standing ovation and gifts from every team, from every away match that he coached. That's how loved he is. Uh, but the rivalry itself is a rivalry where you can, as a player, you can be an absolute nobody. You could score the winning goal and you'll be remembered forever. Really? Uh, it's a, yeah, you'll be remembered forever for scoring that one goal that won you the Super Gracio. It's a very intense game. It's a team. It gives you bragging rights for six months if you know we don't play them in, in, in any other fixture. But it gives you bragging rights for, for a while. Um, it's just it's a rivalry that it's so deep-rooted. It has so much passion. You, I could go on a podcast and talk to and talk for two, three hours about the rivalry. Uh, Boca and River are different in, in so many ways. You know, not to dive too much into it, but Boca supporters, obviously, it's not like this nowadays. We're in 2022. It's very different. But back in the day, Boca supporters were seen as the working class, okay. uh, the, the immigrants from Italy who uh, arrived in the neighborhood of La Boca, which is where our name derives, and built that neighborhood from the ground up. River fans are seen more as the upper class, the the richer fans. Obviously, it's not like that today. You have millionaires who are Boca fans and you have very poor people who are River fans as well. Um, but it's just it, it, two very distinct teams. Uh, River was also founded in the neighborhood of La Boca. Uh, the story goes that they each played each other for the right to stay in the neighborhood and River lost and were kicked out and they had to go find another neighborhood. So the rivalry is just so deep-rooted in those origins from 1902 1904-1905 that it's just been etched that way ever since uh, when you're a kid I'm sure growing up in Argentina your grandfather tells you about uh, that one game in 1925 where Woka beat River 5-0 you know 
It's just so, as there's so much history every single year that pertains to the Super Classico. When you hear about historic rivalries going back that deep, but the fact that, like, you know, older generations will still reference older games for that. Oh, yeah. For the, you know, absolutely. Again, it's not something that we do today. We do it to some degree, but not like that. You know, I feel like, you know, if there's a rivalry between two teams, you know, let's just take the Milan Derby, for instance. Like, people will remember when someone scored or whoever, you know, whatever team you're cheering for in Derby della Madonnina in Italy. But it's not going to be like, I mean, because so many players play for Milan and Inter and vice versa, that it's important and it's cool and it gives bragging rights and it's amazing rivalry, but it is kind of respected. Whereas this is just, again, deep rooted in something that is far beyond comprehension i think for for younger folks today including myself you know and i'm not that young so it's that wow like this is this is going back decades and decades and decades and there's oh, a history yeah. to it you know is that do you feel like now when you watch modern sports that almost that doesn't play a factor into things anymore because of the influx of money yeah yeah, yeah absolutely um i think so I think it's one of those games, especially the Super Classico. I mean, we were chatting about it before we started recording. Neither Woka nor Ribet have that influx of money. So it's still very, uh, the, the match is still very deep-rooted with its origins. Um, every time the game comes around, people start talking about, you know, oh, why is the Super Classico so important? Or they tell different tales about the game. Um, it's one of those uh, it's one of those fixtures where you really you don't cross the divide. You don't see players go straight from Boca to River or River to Boca. You just don't see that. You might see players. There's been a couple who have played for Boca and years down the road, um, they joined River. That's actually one that um, that joined River not too long ago from Austin FC in the MLS. Mm-hmm. He used to play for Boca. He grew up a, a Boca fan. He went up through the Woka Academy and now he plays with Rewood. But even that you don't see nowadays. And I think in sports, um, in, in modern day sports, when money is involved, that tends to happen a lot, especially, I don't know, maybe uh, Manchester, the Manchester Derby with Carlos Tevez. It's a really good, right. really good example. Uh, Manchester City has that influx of money and they were able to sign Carlos Tevez directly from Manchester United. That's something that without that influx of, of money probably wouldn't have happened. Uh, although there's also the case of Barcelona and Real Madrid, they're both really rich teams and that doesn't happen between them either. So I think it kind of goes both ways. Interesting. All right. Yeah. That's good. Good examples where, you know, it still is a thing. What's interesting to me, again, I'm so fascinated by all of this and I'm happy that you're on is, is that Boca is owned by the people. River is owned by the people. Yeah. <laughs> thing is owned by the people all San Lorenzo owned by the people all of these clubs in Argentina are owned by the people as they are in places like Germany you know the fans own Dortmund um what tell me how that is a different setup as opposed to say Sheikh Mansour owning Manchester City and the City Group mm-hmm. or you know, who, you know, the American money that is coming into Italy right now. So what is, what is that like having a fan owned team? Do you ever think that, you know, well, we can't reach the financial heights of PSG, but we've got that history. Like, is that, is that what offsets it? Like explain to me like how that whole system works. 
Yeah, it's it's we have a more traditional uh, way to view to view football. Essentially, I'll break it down for you. And we were discussing this before we started recording. Um, if you don't like the way your team is headed, poor results, no trophies, not able to sign important players, when it t- comes time or uh, to to vote for a board, essentially you select the opposition who will propose different ideas, uh, different methods. A really good example is Daniel Angelisi. He was our ex-president for, I think, it's eight years. And the team won a couple of league titles, uh, fought in the Copa Libertadores a lot. But there's an obsession that the fans have with the Copa Libertadores that under Daniel Angelisi, we just weren't able to obtain. We uh, got to the 2018 Copa Libertadores final against Rivet. We weren't able to win that one. The 2012 uh, Copa Libertadores final against Corinthians, we weren't able to win that one. Uh, various transfer markets with some very bizarre signings, admittedly so, some transfer markets with some pretty good signings. Um, but the team, just the fans just weren't content under his tenure anymore. You can only be president for eight years. You can only be voted twice. And there was an individual who would replace him with a continuation of the same board. Uh, Riquelme, historic player, ended up announcing that he would be vice president with a different board. And the fans quickly made up their mind that they weren't going to continue voting for this one. And they voted for the opposition, uh, which his name is Ameal. He's our president, vice president, or second vice president would be Riquelme. It's a different, it's just a different structure. Uh, Riquelme brought in a couple of the historic players from the early 2000s that won the Intercontinental Cup, various Copa Libertadores, And they brought him in uh, to create a football department with a scouting team. And the fans really love that. And as of now, it's been very successful. We've won, I think, four, five domestic titles uh, since 2019. I think it's four since 2019. Uh, we have fought hard in the Copa Libertadores, still unable to win it. But, you know, that's something that the team's always going to keep striving for. That's essentially the way it works. If you don't like the way your team is headed, you vote out that board when it comes time for, you know, to vote. Kind of like in the United States, every four years you vote for a present very similar. The con of it, obviously, is you're not owned by a billionaire. You don't have that injection of millions of dollars, which some fans wish we did have. Uh, there's something in, in South America that Argentine clubs struggle with, and that's competing with Uruguay and mostly Brazil in terms of wages. Mm. Brazil has this capability of bringing in solid, solid, solid players from Europe and paying them two, three, four, five million dollars a year, something that Boca simply cannot do. We cannot afford to bring those players from Europe. I don't know if you remember William. He played yeah, for, for yeah. Chelsea for a yep. couple of years. Uh, he's in uh, Corinthians right now. It's this influx of money, although Brazilian teams aren't privately owned, but they have, it's just, it's just seen as how can we compete with them economically? Private ownership is a way, but it's just something that the fans are not willing to accept you ask a hundred fans in Argentina, fans of any club, do you want a private owner? In Argentina, it's called Sociedad Anonima. It's private ownership, essentially, what it is. Would you like your, your team to be privately owned? They will say no. They just don't want it. Wow. So it's almost like forego this influx of cash just to keep yeah. it amongst ourselves. Wow. Exactly. You know, because it isn't, you know, you make a good point because I never really thought about it. Like, how could. You know, Brazil at some Brazilian teams at some point, like Sao Paulo at one point had both Pato and Kaká back. You know, after yeah. their after their spells, uh, Kaká's second spell at Milan and Pato's uh, failed spell, at, I believe, it was Chelsea. Um, but they were able to afford the both of them, and they weren't taking a pay cut. You know, uh, Gabigol 
another great example was a record signing for Inter flopped in Europe and then went back and again, never took a pay cut. Yeah. He's probably getting paid what, I don't know, five, six, seven players that will get paid. Wow. Uh, we, we wouldn't be able to afford his weight. We wouldn't be able to afford not even half of his wages. That's how much the difference is. Uh, thankfully, uh, we have a really good, most teams in Argentina have a really good academy uh, to bring up youth players. Obviously, Boca is known, uh, or Argentina as a whole is known for just raising and cropping top, top talent. So we rely heavily on our youth system, on our academy uh, to sort of give us that, that push, that edge. And we have some really good breakout talent coming through every single year. So that helps out a lot. It really is, you know, it, it really is amazing that my entire life and I'm pushing 40, Argentina has constantly put out just amazing players. And it, it, there's even gotten to a point that in the last few years that there are so many good players that don't even get a call up to the national team yeah. because there's someone that's be- like, like you can say what you want about Mauro Riccardi. The dude knows how to score goals when, when he wants. Okay. You know, <laughs> controversy aside, but he is, he is a goal scorer. He's a dynamic goal scorer hardly gets a call up to the national team, which you could, again, you can make the argument after he left into his PSG years, they've been decent, but not enough to call up. But even when he was at Inter, he, he still wasn't getting that phone call. You know, you yeah. Martinez, you know, phenomenal. Just th- those are the front guys that you could pick from, not to mention you also yeah. see, not to mention there's also Tevez, not to mention there's also this guy. And that. It's constantly this embarrassment of riches and yet, do you feel now, as we head into a World Cup year, are we are in a World Cup year, and we're heading into World Cup, this Argentine national team looks to finally be clicking and firing and gelling on all cylinders. Do you think that this is the year for them now? To get <laughs> I wish I knew. Oh, my God. I suffered so much, and I still suffer from the 2014 World Cup. It's unbelievable. I mean uh only only god knows right if you believe in god only god knows hopefully it's our year are we the favorite i don't think so are we certainly up there with a bunch of other sides yeah absolutely spain france england brazil argentina of course all have really good chances of of winning the world cup i probably named the winner within those teams i mean (laughs) hopefully 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 this is our year. Hopefully luck is on our side and we are able to, to win it. It would be, it would be magnificent, not only for, you know, the, the players and the coaching staff, but just all the quote unquote bad years, second places that we've won over the past 10 years. It is. Yeah, that's true. That is true. You know, that 2014 world cup, I really thought that this was going to be it. If there's going to be a place to do it, of course, Argentina is going to win it in Brazil. Like, of course, they're going to. It's almost like, because that's Can you imagine? one of the greatest in, international rivalries ever. If and we it, won the World Cup in Brazil, oh boy, that would have been hell for Brazilians. Right. I mean, as <laughs> Sorry a neutral, to any Brazilian listening. <laughs> no, I, I, it's true. Like, as a neutral watching that game, I was sort of like, man, Germany's such a safe choice to win this, to, to win this yeah. trophy today. Yeah. Um, Wow. You know, it is, it is quite astonishing though, you know, but do you think that because of the fact that it's such a football mad country and there's so many amazing players that being privately owned, I'm sorry, being publicly owned rather by the people, as you said, that it, again, it it offsets that because you, for every scrub, there is, 
a diamond in the on the team that they could sell to a Chelsea, that they could sell to a uh, Real Madrid or whoever for major bucks, and that can keep the funds going for a little while. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what the, that's what teams rely on uh, on top talent. I think we just mentioned Lautaro Martinez. Uh, I saw him play in, in, in Racing, and he was just an incredible, incredible player. The unfortunate side of being publicly owned by the fans is you can't sell players for that much of a, of a fee. Oh, uh, if, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, Racing sold them for $18 million, which is nothing. That's, that's not, for Argentina, that's excellent. But for European football, it, it's, it's really, really, really cheap. But for Rossi, that's a great amount of money. And the second Nautaro put pen to paper with Inter, he was automatically worth $100 million, which I find unbelievable. But that's just the way the football the football world works. Uh, Boca has sold a, a couple of, of stars, Neitan Nandes over at Genoa, uh, Benedetto at the time over to Marseille, um, to just keep the influx of, of money going. But if we were publicly owned and we were we bringing in all this top talent, maybe that would hinder some of the younger players. Right. So you don't really, you don't really know, but we do rely heavily on selling uh, young stars, breakout stars in in order to, you know, balance checkbooks and whatnot. Absolutely. There's two really good players for Wolka right now who are attracting interest from unfortunately city group, but at the same time, I feel like they're linked to everyone. So maybe it's not that bad of a deal. Um, Ezequiel Barco, I think he's 18 years old, left back, redheaded left back who I post about all the time. He plays for reserve. He is a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous talent. He's going to be huge in Europe. I know it. And uh, you heard it here first, folks. Or maybe you heard it here second. You actually heard it on his podcast <laughs> first. You heard it on Boca. Yeah, first. yeah. If you if you listen to us, you've heard us talk about him quite quite a quite a, a bunch of times. Um, and what's the other one? Ezequiel Ezequiel Ceballos, a left winger who has a an amazing dribbling ability, an amazing one to one. He's able to beat his man with ease. So technically gifted, another player who's just going to be tremendous in Europe. And eventually, I mean, his Ezequiel Ceballos, his, his release cost, I think, is $25 million and Barco is $15 million. Um, so if any European team wants to trigger that, that's exceptional money for Roca. Uh, hopefully it doesn't happen. Hopefully we're able to enjoy those players a lot more as we were uh, able to in the early 2000s. Nowadays, usually European teams... In South America, they're seen as poachers. They poach away our talent yeah. very young, 18, 19, 20, and the fans are a lot bummed out because we couldn't really see them. So, Wow. You know, also, just this is a quick shout-out to the Bulk English podcast again. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Hearing, thank you. Obviously, go check them out. So now let's, let's tell about your story for a minute. How did your podcast come about? You know, and I, I thank you for it because I just this was a pandemic discovery for me was finding Boca in English and going like, oh, okay, like I can keep abreast of the news of what's going on because it, the Argentine League, as you said, it's a poachers league for Europe, but it is so historic and it is so monumental. And some of my favorite players have come from it. And I try and be as open minded and as, you know, follow as many leagues as I could. It was easier when I was younger and single, but uh, don't tell my wife that, but uh, (laughs) people now doing things DIY, like we're doing now on this podcast, it's become easier because the fans are really the best experts. And your podcast, again, has been second to none when it comes to Boca Info. What was that need for you to create that? And then also specifically put it in English for schmucks like me to you know press play and be like oh hey this is 
oh, hey, this is good. You know, you decided to take something from your people, but make it for everyone. Yeah. So I think, you know, talking about the podcast, you can't talk about the podcast without talking about the Twitter, Twitter page, right? The Twitter page came first. It was uh, early 2018. And I was just looking for different, I was just Googling Boca, English, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram groups, just to talk about Boca Juniors with fans <clears throat> around the US or even fans in, in England, because I know they existed and I couldn't really find any. And it's not because I had trouble speaking Spanish. I speak a great Spanish. I'm fluent. I can read and write in Spanish perfectly. But, you know, I'm here in the in the U.S. and I know there's a lot of Argentines here. So I just wanted to connect with with fans, you know, more on a local level. And obviously I live in the U.S. and we all speak English and I couldn't really find any any outlets. So I said to myself, why don't I create a Twitter page? Because I, di I did see that there were other um, uh, Argentine clubs who did have pages dedicated to them in English by fans. So I said, I'll, I'll start one. I'll call it Boca in English. That's exactly what I did. And there were other Boca in English Twitter pages that had failed. Uh, There's a couple of ones from early 2012, 13, 14 that just weren't active for years. So I said, let me create one. And I, I stuck with it. And then came the 2018 Liberta final. Um, that final, if you remember, uh, we played against Rio. We unfortunately lost it, but there was a lot of mayhem with that final. Yes. <laughs> a lot of a lot of headlines and a lot of talk with that final. Unfortunately, uh, out of the pitch, outside of the pitch, um, with it being moved to Europe and all the the senseless acts and all the garbage that went along with that final. When I tell you I couldn't sleep, I literally couldn't sleep. The day. The day before the second leg, the first leg ended, um, what was it, 2-2. The second leg, the night before, I didn't sleep. I stayed up all night. And unfortunately, everything that happened, happened. And it was, I was moved to Europe. It was, it was, it was absolute mayhem. And at the time, I was writing for a couple of blogs about Boca, about you know every domestic uh, weekend game. But I said, I said to myself, once we reached the final and it was against Rivet, I said, I needed a bigger way to do this. I need a, a, a better way to communicate my thoughts and preview this humongous and monumental final. And I can't do it writing. Writing takes time. It needs to be in a certain format. Those blogs that I wrote for required, you know, I had certain expectations. And I said, I need to start a podcast right away. I need to start a podcast. It's the easiest way to do this. And I did, and I had a couple guys join me, and that's the, our very first podcast ever, which I have. It's not, it's not available to, to hear. It was on a different platform that I used at that time, so it's not available to, to listen to anymore, unfortunately. I'm sorry for everybody that wants to go back. <laughs> um, but that's how it started. It started with the 2018 Libertadores final, us previewing the game. Uh, I think episode two was after the first leg, and episode three was previewing the second leg, and episode four was after the second leg, something along those lines. And that's essentially how the podcast started, and we've been doing it ever since. We took a, a break towards the end of uh, last year, and then we've taken another break now. We're just trying to figure out a time that's best for all of us to record. Um, so that's taking a little bit of time because of different work schedules and whatnot, but we'll be recording again soon. That's essentially how the podcast started with the 18 to 2018 Year of the final. Wow. I mean, out of, out of the mayhem came this wonderful thing. What's yeah. it been like for you to be on the other side, though, to not only get the things that you want off your mind and chest, but also able to connect with those fans that you were looking for in 2018? You were able now, you know, to have access to the world at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've gotten a lot of recognition. It's not something that I was looking for or that wasn't my target or aim at all. 
with the podcast that blew up in, in, in the U.S. and England and in Argentina, too, uh, there's even a 24-hour radio station called Cadena Senese who plays our podcast. We send it to them and they play it. They, uh, they uh, play different shows and, and different um, – yeah, pretty much different shows. It's a it's a radio station, twenty four hours dedicated to, to Boca Juniors, and they play our show. Um, I've had uh, various newspapers, Diario Le, which is probably the most famous newspaper, sports newspaper in Argentina, did an interview on me. I was on the newspaper uh, down there, um, so it's it's been awesome, and the people the people really enjoy it, which is which is very neat. That's fantastic, man. You guys do a great job, and again, it helps the hardcore fan appreciate their team even more and it helps yeah. just even just like the outsider like myself who enjoys this team respects this team but wants to learn more you know it, it's just you listen to one episode and again i even do one interview with you now i walk away being like all right boca super fan <laughs> hit me with anything guys you know that's but that's what it is it's you have these great minds doing this incredible thing so pat yourselves on the back doing thank you i appreciate it appreciate kind words you're welcome you're welcome you know there's not enough kindness that goes around so i try and you know do that here as well but and i mean it because in order no one's an expert in anything is what i've come to the conclusion on but in order yeah. to like say like you fully love something that's how i feel immerse yourself in it i love this sport so much i want to know how different it is everywhere and i want to meet these fans i also want to meet fans that like I, teams i hate and i don't, don't like uh i've i now at this point in the podcast i've had more juventus fans on than i've had milan fans so that's oh, wow. something about how, you know yeah. it's, this is what this is but the boca fans though and again this fan base is it's it's unbelievable even in queens new york have you been to the Boca Junior Steakhouse? Oh, absolutely. I'm sure you absolutely. have. Absolutely. That's a yeah. stupid question. But for folks that don't know, in Queens, New York, if you ever come to New York, get out of Manhattan, come visit in Queens. Um, there's a wonderful Argentine Steakhouse. It's just dedicated to this team. When Maradona had passed, people came to light candles, pay homage. The food's amazing. The prices are good. They're not sponsoring this uh, podcast at all. Um, but look, if I can get a free steak out of this maybe i'll try shoot my shot but but that's how crazy this fan base is is that they will dedicate a a restaurant like i've gone all over the world i've not i've yet to see a new york knicks style or new york knicks hot dog vendor you know i don't know cartagena i've never seen like a new york yankees you know again hot dog or pizza place in italy it's just not something that happens. So the fact that yeah. like these guys got together, created this restaurant and it, it, it is just all blue and gold. It is the entire history of this team. Literally. Yeah. So that to me is a microcosm of this community and this fan base. When you get to travel now and you meet other fans or go to places like this, what is that for you? Is it a sense of like, Oh, this is home because these are my people or Wow. I'm not as crazy as I thought I was about this team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I mean, the restaurant is awesome. I think it's a really good example. I went to go see the Super Classico back, uh, I think it was two months ago in Manhattan. Uh, what is it called? The place, it's called The Ground. I don't know if you've ever heard yeah. of it. It's, it's an indoor, for those who don't know, it's, a, it's a, uh, a little indoor soccer field where on the rooftop they have another one. Um, we watched the Super Classic over there with a bunch of Boca fans from New York, New Jersey, 
And I walked in there and I saw everybody chanting, screaming when we won, throwing beer every, everywhere. And that's exactly what I thought. Wow, everybody is just as crazy as I am with regards to this team. And it's awesome because you all feel the same passion. You all are there for the very same purpose. And it's nice to chat about, you know, just Boca Juniors. Um, I had this, uh, this gentleman who I think he went there from upstate. And he really wanted to meet me. He messaged me. He really wanted to meet me. And I met him. We talked for a little bit. And he told my dad that he's a Boca Juniors fan because of me, because of my podcast, because of the, of the Twitter page. Not a Boca Juniors fan because of me. He's a club member, an international club member because of me. I was able to help him uh, get membership status and acquire that. So I was like, wow, that's very humbling that this guy is, is saying it's all because of me. I mean, he was following Boca for many years, sort of fell off for a bit found my podcast and my Twitter page to stay up to date with the team. And then he became a club member. He was telling my dad that and my dad was like, wow, that's, that's insane. Uh, so it, it is, it is very nice to see fans from, you know, from New York, New Jersey and other parts of the world. Absolutely. I, I was in Spain. When was I in Spain in 2019 for two weeks? And I saw two or three people with Boca shirts and of course went up and talked to them and it was, it was very neat, very neat, very neat to see fans from, from Boca fans from, uh, from Argentina or really anywhere, different parts of the world is really neat. It's amazing. Uh, this is a silly question, but I have to ask, are you a club member? I am a club member. Yeah. How does one achieve status? How does this happen? So essentially it really depends on where you live. Uh, you have to talk to your local, what they call consulate. Uh, you speak with them. Let's say if you're in London, there's a London consulate, you get in touch with them. Uh, there's a, a fee that you have to pay to become a member. And there's an, a monthly fee, I think for international members, U.S. dollars, it's about five, six dollars to be an international member. Um, and really that simple. Um, the, they do all the work for you. You have to sign paperwork. The club should ships out your membership card to the, to the consulate and the consulate gets it off to you. So if you don't have a consulate in your city, you should probably look for one that's nearby. There's consulates uh, in, in China and in Japan, uh, England, Spain, obviously in the U.S. In the U.S. there's one in Miami. Uh, New Jersey, New York, Los Angeles, Texas. Uh, there's consulates everywhere. So, so now, what does the membership give you? Are you allow voting rights now? Can you vote for? So, as almost uh, Boca, as we all know, has an issue with the stadium. Boca, in total, has three hundred thousand club members. It is the club. I just posted this a couple of weeks. I think it was last week. We have reached. Uh, the second most club members of any club in the world. Uh, first place is Bayern. We have surpassed uh, Benfica and a couple of other enormous clubs. Um, but we have an issue with the stadium. The stadium uh, essentially doesn't fit all 300,000 people. It, it fits 50,000 people. And unfortunately, you can't allow too many voting members because the, the capacity just doesn't match up. So every couple of months, a, a couple of or hundreds to, I think it's a thousand uh, tier two members is what I like to call them become voting members. And it takes a really long time because it's a very slow process because the stadium just isn't big enough. So essentially you have to wait for people to either um, drop their membership status or just die, which is really messed up, but wow. that's essentially the way it works. So I'm a tier two member, which would be a, uh, any international member would be tier two tier one are the, those who, who can vote. Uh, that's the only difference, though. You're not able to vote yet. I've been a member since 2016. I'm still not able to vote. Um, additionally, if you were to vote, you have to be in Argentina. So if you have no intentions of going to Argentina, it really doesn't matter to not be able to vote. 
but there are some other perks um, in the summertime, which is summer over there in Argentina right now. If you were to go to Argentina, you show your club membership card, you can get into the humongous pool that they have right next to La Bonina for free. Uh, they have food and all that stuff. You can use all the club's installations. Uh, there's a medical department. If you have any medical issues, you can go see the, the medical department, the physicians over there. Uh, there's gyms dedicated to the members. You can you can go see, um, you can go to the gym and work out. Obviously, this is all if you're in Argentina. Um, if you want to go see a game for international members, you get in for free. Oh, you don't you you don't have to pay for the uh, for the ticket. All you have to do is get in touch with your local consulate and let them know at least a month in advance. Hey, I'm traveling to Argentina. I want to go to this game, and they get in touch with the club and they let you in for free, which is pretty neat. That's amazing. Now, leads me to my next question: How difficult is it for someone that just happens to be on vacation in Buenos Aires, looks at the schedule, up? Oh. A bombonera. There's a match. I gotta go. This is a bucket list item. You see where I'm going with this? Yeah. How, how how difficult is it to get tickets? It's very hard. Very very hard. Um, if you're not a club member, good luck. You're wow. not getting in. Uh, there are options though. There's travel agencies uh, that sell tickets, but at a very uh, the huge upcharge, a um, ten dollar ticket. Uh, they'll sell for $150 and they'll make up this BS package to go along with it. Oh, well, you have a guide and some pre-match beer and food, which is kind of like a hamburger, a chori bun and a beer. It's not worth $150 at all. But if you're really that desperate, a travel agency is really is the way to go or buying tickets uh, in the streets. But be careful because a lot of those are, are scams or they're fake. They're fake tickets. Right. Wow. For a lot of members, so the membership card has a chip embedded in the in the membership card, and your ticket is embedded in the chip. Uh, when you go in through the system and you buy your ticket, it's embedded in the chip. So when you go to the stadium, you tap it, it beeps, it lets you in. So it's very hard to get tickets. Now time for a coffee break. Curva Mundial is sponsored by Mod Cup Coffee in Jersey City. But you can get it anywhere in the world from modcup.com. Modcup, drink modern coffee. Use code MUNDIAL for 10% off your first order. We are now in the home stretch. This is my favorite part of the podcast. I'm going to ask you three rapid fire questions pertaining to Boca Juniors. So, start number one. If you could bring back one retired player to your club, former player, alive or dead, who would it be and why? Uh, Maradona. I mean, Why? Because I never saw him play in a Boca jersey. And that's really tough for me because I would probably say Riquelme otherwise. But I saw Riquelme play many times, uh, not physically, you know, through TV. But I would, I would say Maradona, I never saw him play in a Boca jersey. Wow. Okay. All right. If your club could sign one player today. Now, we're going to pretend money is not an issue. Infinite amount of cash. Doesn't matter. If your club could sign one player today, who would it be <laughs> A lot of people are going to kill me. I'd probably say Messi. <laughs> okay. Hey, look, you're also Argentine. It's not like, you know, uh, you're, I don't know, some like th- tier three, you know, I don't know, like some tier three team in Scotland. That's yeah. Just like, yeah, I want Messi. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably say Messi because uh, I think our biggest issue over the past six months, although we've gotten a lot, of be- a lot better in it, is playmaking. We're doing very well now, but if I would say we need a playmaker, I can get anybody in the world who would it be Messi. Can you answer a question for me now? Because there's been, I don't know, allegations, rumors. Um, 
maybe it's part of the folklore now that he's not really that well loved in Argentina the way one would think he is. Like he is, uh, he won this past summer, which finally he got a trophy for the team, for the national team. But from what I've gathered and what have been, been said in the rumor mill and whatever is that he's loved more around the world than he is in Argentina. Is that true? Not that he's loved more. It's more so Argentines. There's always the Maradona or Messi. Who are you picking? You ask my parents, flat out, they will tell you Maradona, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's who they grew up with. So I would say more so in Argentina, it's Maradona's loved more than him. Um, and that's also because Maradona played many years in, in Argentina for three clubs. Uh, it's because Maradona brought home a World Cup, which is everything to the people of Argentina. Messi, uh, sort of his upbringing was different. He left Argentina at a very, very young age. Nobody really knew of him until he was a star in Barcelona. And he wasn't able to bring home a World Cup. Um, doesn't take away, they, they do think that he is a phenomenal player, probably one of the greatest to ever do it. I think personally he's the greatest to ever do it. That's just my opinion. That's just who I saw. Um, but I think if he were to bring home the World Cup, that would change a lot of people's minds. Okay. All right. You know, again, because there were years ago he retired, then unretired from the national team. I would say more so that has changed. Many years ago, there's a lot of people who didn't like him in Argentina. I would I would agree with that. More so now, that hasn't really been the case. Of course, after winning the Copa America, that helps his case tremendously. After winning this uh, this title against against Italy, that helps him even more. Um, so, but I I don't really think he's disliked many, many years ago. Maybe you can make a case with a certain group of individuals Mm -hmm. that are just, just so stuck in their ways that they don't really like Messi. Um, but I wouldn't say that's really the case anymore. Okay. All right, cool. Thank you for clarifying that. And finally, what has been your favorite moment as a fan? As a fan, a Boca fan, I hate to say this because you're a Milan fan, but I think that I think the greatest title I ever saw Boca win, it's obviously the most famous title club can win, quote unquote, is the Club World Cup, the Intercontinental Trophy. And I wasn't, uh, I was too young to witness the 2000 win against Real Madrid. I, was, I don't remember it, but I do remember the 2003 win against, against Milan. That has been uh, one of my greatest moments for a South American team. That trophy is everything. I know European clubs really don't care too much for it. It's seen as an easy win, even more so now with a huge drastic difference in, in squads between South America and, and, and Europe. But that 2003 win against Milan was probably everything to me. Uh, if I had to pick another moment, I'd say 2007, the win uh, against Gremio in Brazil. Uh, the way that Riquelme played those six months was exquisite. It was ridiculous, out of his mind. He played so well that he was, in the, uh, he was nominated for the Ballon de Oro. I think he got 13th place that year playing for a South American team, which is asinine and is ridiculous. You don't see that. You'll never see that again, ever. Amazing. Amazing. No, it was a phenomenal moment. You know, interesting you brought up the Club World Cup, though, because it is a trophy that isn't talked about. It does seem huge literally anywhere else in the world but Europe. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for all those reasons that you just touched on that I never really thought much about until now. Like, oh, yeah, you're right. It is a huge deal outside of the European borders. Now, absolutely. I lied. I don't have, a, that wasn't your last question. Now, <laughs> the last question is this, because you just opened up a can of worms here. Obviously the prestige and the money is in Europe, right? Or maybe not so much a prestige I'm using as a broad term here. Okay. It's like, don't, before everyone comes at me with pitchforks, but <laughs> the money is in Europe. 
But there is something, an allure. Now, as you are such a hardcore fan of this particular team in this particular league, in this particular country, outside of European borders, do you ever feel that, hey, man, like we're playing really good ball here too. Like, why don't we get the shine the way, I don't know, like Benfica does or the way I don't, Atalanta. And it like, I'm not talking Real Madrid. I'm not talking Barcelona. I'm talking like, I don't know, Red Bull Leipzig is getting like more of a discussion than Boca winning something. You don't yeah. yeah, I think that's an excellent point that you brought up. Essentially, it comes down to the media. I think the Copa Libertadores, which is the South American version of the Champions League, if I'm not mistaken, the Copa Libertadores, is it older than the Champions League? If it's not, I think the Champions League or the European Cup has a beat by a couple of years. I think I think it doesn't have to be like older years. because it didn't officially become Champions League until the early nineties. Well, yeah. I'm saying as as a, as a whole, European Cup right. slash yeah. Champions League. I think the European Cup actually came first, but by one or two by one or two years. But what the point I'm trying to get to is the Copa Libertadores is such a prestigious tournament in South America. It's a phenomenal tournament. I feel like on an international level level in terms of the media, it doesn't get enough attention, and I don't know why that is. There's so many good teams, so many great players. Vinicius is a player for Real Madrid who's getting spoken about a lot. He, I first saw him play in the Copa Libertadores for Flamengo, a bunch of these guys. Uh, the uh, Rodrigo playing for Santos. Um, a lot of people, Robinho, you remember Robinho? He played, uh, he played, he played for Milan. I saw him play for Santos in 2003 in the, uh, the Copa Libertadores in that final against Boca. I mean, these players, a lot of these South American top talents in Europe, we first started seeing them play in, in, in the Copa Libertadores or even the Copa Sudamericana, which is the, the Europa League version. Um, but I feel like we don't get enough attention and it kind of, it kind of sucks. I mean, I really could care less what the media really discusses or doesn't discuss. Um, but I feel like the Copa Libertadores as a whole should be discussed about a lot more. There are a lot of uh, outlets talking about the, um, the North American Champions League, which in my opinion is a very bad tournament and that gets spoken about more than the Copa Libertadores. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know if it has something to, to do with rights and sponsorships and contracts or whatever, but I do feel like there's a lot of South American clubs and, and players that should be talked about a lot more in, in the media that, that are. What is interesting about watching Copa Libertadores as a, as a neutral, I mean, look, look I'll, I'll focus on Boca when they're there. I like Sao Paulo and Brazil, so I'll, I'll try and watch when they play. But I also try and watch and take in as many games as I can. What is interesting still about Libertadores is that it reminds me of the football I watched growing up, is, is that every country played a different style, right? Yeah. Libertadores, and now today, because of like the melting pot of how the world is, everything's so yeah. much smaller, teams aren't the way they used to be, which is fine. That's good. That's a good progress is that everyone is getting a little bit of a taste of everything. But Libertadores, you're still seeing football and almost in its most purest form because yeah. the Brazilian clubs play the Brazilian way. The Argentine clubs play the Argentine way, Colombian, so yeah. on and so forth. That's kind of, it, it's, it should be like every football fan's key to try and watch or follow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Am I yeah, wrong absolutely. on that? Like as a neutral, like I want to tell me I'm wrong. Like it's okay. Like as from an outsider looking in on that tournament, do you still get that? Like that it still is the those clubs are still representative of the style from the countries they come from. 
Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Absolutely. Brazilians definitely have their style of playing and Argentines have our style of playing and it might differ between the clubs within a country. Um, but it's just such a good way. I, I don't like to compare it to the NCAA, but let's say you want to see the next crop of, of NBA players or, or NFL players. You look at, you know, all the college sports and you get a good uh, hindsight, a good look at those players. Same thing with South American football. It's, I'm not trying to compare that it's a lower level or a lower right, league right. because that's essentially what the NCAA is. What I'm trying to get at is you get an insight on these players who are going to shine in Europe in a couple of years. I just mentioned before, 20 minutes ago, Varico and, and Ceballos, two really good players for Roca that you can see in the Copa Libertadores, who you might see in the Champions League in six years, in five, four, whatever amount of years, you know? Fantastic. Gabriel, this has been so much fun. I can't thank you enough uh, for coming on. How can the people follow you? I know we mentioned Boca in English enough, but uh, they want to learn more. How can they do it? Absolutely. So uh, the best way I would say is on on Twitter. Uh, we also have an Instagram account. I'm not too active on there. But Twitter, uh, at, uh, the Twitter handle is at C-A-B-J underscore English. And we do have a podcast we're trying to bring back with the guys uh, we haven't recorded in a couple months, but we're looking to come back and, and start recording again. But Twitter is definitely the best way to keep up with it. Um, Sal, I'd like to thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been a lot, a lot of fun. I love discussing Boca, and you gave me an opportunity to do that. So thank you so much. Come back anytime, man. Much appreciated. And I think what we need to do is celebrate this in person and go to Boca Juniors for a piece of steak and some beer, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'm so down. You let me know. All right. <laughs> Fantastic. Follow us on Twitter at Curva Mundial Pod and subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.